2 Peter chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2 in your Bibles, if you would please. Have you ever been duped? Have you ever been conned? Have you ever been taken advantage of? What does it take to be duped or conned or taken advantage of? It takes another person who seems oh so trustworthy, right? They seem oh so kind, right? And they seem to be your friend. But what is their motivation? Their motivation is very much focused on themselves, right? What they want. What they can get out of it. Their own greed. Their own following. And so what do they do? Well, it takes another person who is willing to deceive takes another person who is willing to be secretive even about their deception, but it takes someone that is also going to follow their lies, and sometimes that can be us, you know, blindly being taken advantage of. There have been, like we talked about last week, some funny or harmless dupings of people, like if you wanted to grow spaghetti trees, you just plant a a sprig of spaghetti and some tomato juice, and it will sprout into a spaghetti tree, and that's how you get spaghetti. And some people actually thought that. There's a few others that, that were mentioned in this same article that called the, one of the greatest pranks in history. In 1980, uh, BBC World Services announced that Big Ben, that's that you know, iconic clock in London, is going digital. <laughs> so they're going to remove the hands because nobody knows how to read those anyways. And Roman numerals, let's just go with a nice digital display. Most people reacted in shock and anger, surprisingly, right? But uh, others uh, definitely called in. Or there's uh, another one. An iceberg appears in the Sydney Harbor. So that, obviously a cause of global warming, glacier fell off and floated all the way to Australia and somehow made it. It was later found out to be just some tarps on a boat painted artistically. This one I love. Taco Bell buys the Liberty Bell. So I'm sure that would be great for advertisement. Uh, It was in an effort, though, to help reduce the national debt. That's why we sold it, just so you know. So it was good for a good cause. But of course, distress calls immediately got sent in to senators. (laughs) from their constituents saying, we better not be selling the Liberty Bell. Uh, And we could go on and on of all the different ones that people have been duped or conned by. Here in 2 Peter, as we get into chapter 2, Peter's going to turn his attention, his focus, towards false teachers. And he's going to spend all of chapter 2 on it. In other words, of the three chapters in this book, and of of really, these are his final words. Remember, these are Peter's final words that he gives to the church before his passing, before his martyrdom, he takes a third of the book right here in the middle and is going to give warnings about false teachers. In other words, Peter thinks it's a big deal. Peter thinks it's an issue. Peter thinks it's something that we need to pay attention to. And why is that? Because we can so easily be duped, be conned, be taken advantage of. And so We just ended last week in chapter 1 with the certainty of God's word. 
And so Peter is setting that up, that we have a sure and certain foundation in the scriptures where we can get truth and find truth. And he's saying that's the foundation that you're supposed to lay and live your life upon, not following after these false teachers. Now the companion book really to 2 Peter chapter 2 would be the book of Jude. You're going to see a lot of parallelisms between those two. And I don't remember how long ago it was. Maybe a year ago, we, I actually preached through the book of Jude uh, Sunday evenings. And we looked at, there's many similarities and comparisons. And they're both concerned about that. If you, if you look at Jude chapter 1 and verse 3, he, he gives his urgency. We've looked at this verse before. I gave all diligence to write unto you the common salvation which it was needful to me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. In other words, there's a war going on. There's a battle going on. And what is that battle? The battle is for your belief. The battle is for your mind. The battle is what are you going to trust in? What are you going to follow after? Who are you going to believe? And hasn't this past year, <laughs> past two years, shown us anything about who or what we can even try or attempt to believe, right? And so as we come to Second Peter chapter 2, we're looking at the false teacher and their influence. We're going to look at just the first three verses today in our service time. We're looking at the false teacher's influence and how we need to protect ourselves against it. We're going to look at their method, their masses, in other words, the groups that follow them, and their motivation. So their method, their ma- the masses, and their motivation in the false teacher's influence. If you would, let's read together 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 2 Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3, reading now. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. So false teachers, their influence, we're going to look first of all, verse 1, their method. How do false teachers, what is the method that they use to sneak in? Well, notice here in verse 1 of chapter 2 that Peter starts with looking back on history. In other words, he looks back and says, have there been false teachers or false prophets in the past? And he says, absolutely. Verse 1 there says, but there were false prophets also among the people. And what is he referring to there? Well, I believe when he says false prophets and the people, he's referring directly to Israel, the Old Testament. He's looking back and saying, look at Israel, look at the Old Testament, and look at the examples that have come before that were written for our admonition and see that there were false prophets back then. How did you know if a, if a prophet was telling you the truth or not in the Old Testament? Well, God even gave some requirements for that. And he said, 
If the prophet says something, prophesies something, and it doesn't come true, he's lying to you. He said, okay, well, that's pretty evident, right? But what are you supposed to do within that false prophet? You're actually supposed to take him out. <laughs> supposed to take care of him because he's bringing upon himself judgment. What about false prophets in the Old Testament that were heeded, that were listened to? And why were they listened to? Well, think of some of the kings of Israel. They, they had some advisors, right? Some prophets that would say, oh no, God loves you, right? Everything's fine. You don't have to worry about God's judgment. And that's what false prophets were saying so that the kings would feel relaxed, at ease. You know, you wouldn't get all messed up. If you go back and just look at the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was dealing with a lot of false prophets. We're just going to look at a few verses throughout Jeremiah. But Jeremiah chapter 5, we'll see what God has to say even in the Old Testament about these prophets, the false ones in particular. And this is just one example through Jeremiah's life. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 30 Jeremiah realizes what's happening here, even in his time. Jeremiah 5.30, a wonderful and horrible thing is committed in the land. In other words, this is, it's, it's not a wonderful in a good way. It's a marvelous. In other words, it, it almost takes your breath away. It's so bad. Verse 31, what is the bad thing? The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests bear rule by their means, and my people Love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? He mentions three groups of people. The prophets. Who are the prophets? They're the ones that are supposed to declare God's word. They're supposed to say, thus saith the Lord. And what are they doing? They're lying to the people. They're saying, thus saith the Lord when God never said that. They're saying, this is the way you're supposed to live when God never said that. And then the priests, the second group of people, they bear rule by their means. In other words, they're just looking out for themselves. They're not shepherding the flock. They're not caring for the people. They're just doing what they want. What about the people? What about the people following? What was their response? They actually like it this way. In other words, I, I'm fine. I'm fine with the status quo. I don't care if it's against what God says. That's how I'm going to live. Do you see any similarities to what's happening today at all? Are there false teachers still today? Are they saying things that, thus saith the Lord, and yet God never said that? Are they looking out for themselves, and yet people, they're fine with it, right? They just go along with it. And since there's nothing new under the sun, turn over to chapter 6 of Jeremiah, verses 13 and 15, through 15. Jeremiah 6, 13 through 15, it gives the whole scope. Jeremiah 6, 13 says, From the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore they shall fall among them that fall. The time I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. 
What was their motivation? Covetousness. How did they do it? They went about it falsely. And what were they saying? Peace, peace. Everything's fine. Don't worry. God's judgment's not going to come upon you. You don't have to worry about God's judgment. No, what, what you're doing is totally fine. God doesn't, God loves. But yet, God said, no, my judgment's coming. And then chapter 23 is the last part we'll look at in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 23, verses 14 through 16. Jeremiah 23, 14 through 16. Talking about the spiritual leaders of the land. Jeremiah 23, 14. I have seen also in the prophets of Jerusalem an horrible thing. They commit adultery and walk in lies. They strengthen also the hand of evildoers that none doth return from his wickedness. They are all of them unto me as Sodom and the inhabitants thereof as Gomorrah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I will feed them with wormwood and make them drink the water of gall. For from the prophets of Jerusalem is profaneness gone forth into all the land. Where is the blame put on? It's put on the spiritual leaders of the land here. And what are they doing? It's not even a question anymore. They're directly disobeying the clear commands of God. In other words, what started out as just greed and, you know, trying to, you know, just satisfy my own needs, it's just blatant is what it comes out as, even if it starts covertly. So back in 2 Peter chapter 2, the admonition here is, or the the thought is, there was false prophets before, as we've seen in Jeremiah, just one example, we could look at many others. And Peter goes on to say, even as there shall be false teachers among you. There's nothing new. It can still happen. It can still happen today. It can still happen even here in our own church. So there's a clear warning. This idea of false teachers is the idea of lying teachers. In other words, they're, they're telling mistruths or misinformation on purpose. And they're being subtle about it, as we'll see in the next phrase. But look at 2 Timothy 4. Because Paul also addresses this idea of teachers, false teachers, coming in and subverting the truth. These false teachers can come among you. And so he's giving warning, but also commands, okay, how do you combat this? Timothy, how are you as a, as a pastor going to combat this? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I charge thee therefore before God. He's giving this charge to Timothy, the pastor, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead as his appearing and his kingdom. What do you do? Preach the word. Goes back to the scriptures. Declare the scriptures. Declare what Christ has said. Be instant or ready in season, out of season. In other words, be, be ready at all times. And here's how you do it. You reprove, re- rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. In other words, you show where the error is. You rebuke it. You call it out for what it is. And then you exhort and encourage in which ways? Long-suffering, patience. Why patience? Do you change overnight? No. Someone that's been conned or duped, is it easy to change their mind right away? Maybe you've dealt with people too like that. 
It's not. So there's this long-suffering, this patience, and then with doctrine. That's what we say here at this church. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is important. What is doctrine? It's the teaching. It's the teaching of Scripture. It's what Scripture says. Why? Verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Man's desire is to have teachers, leaders, say things that I want to hear. And today, in our culture, is that not easier than ever before? In other words, if you want to hear what you want to hear, can you find your own group that says what you think and says what you believe? And says what you follow and even preaches it and, ex- and explains as absolutely. So v- verse 4, and they shall turn away from their ears from the truth and be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things. In other words, be alert, endure affliction. It's not going to be easy. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. So even in the midst of false teachers, here's the admonition. Watch, stay firm on the word. Teach and talk about sound doctrine. So, there have been false prophets, there will be. What's their method? Well, notice that word in both those phrases, among the people and among you. Notice where the false teachers are located. They're located right in the midst of the people. They're located where it looks like they're just a normal, everyday, nice person, right? They're right in the place of influence, where they they can build relationships, they can feign even love and kindness, and yet their motivation will reveal itself, and their work will reveal it. So their method is to have a location among the people, but their method is also to be secretive about it. They're not going to be boldly saying, you know, a false, a false teacher doesn't come and say, hey, I'm a false teacher, so listen to me, right? The con man doesn't say, hey, I'm going to lie to you. You ready? I'm going to lie. Now believe me, right? What do they do? I, I know this is not every used car salesman. I'm not saying that, but what do you do sometimes? They have a reputation, some do, and why is that? Well, I'm going to tell you it's a car, but I'm going to tell you it's a great car, right? I'm not going to tell you about the rust underneath or, you know, the the transmission that uh, is slipping a little bit or the engine codes that I just cleared right before you came. You know, and so there is deception involved in that where there's trying to hide or suppress something. So it's secretive. So notice the middle of verse 1. It's these false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnable heresies. That, that word privily has the idea of a spy or a traitor going into an enem- their enemy's camp to secretly spy out. And what is a traitor? It's, it's someone who looks like they're on your side, right? But in reality, they're there to gather intel for the other side. World War II is, is ripe with illustration of, of spies and while, what all happened there. I'll just bring one to mind. Morris Moberg. I like this guy because he was a baseball player. He was in the major leagues. And during World War II, he turned to secret agent. 
and he was in the office of Inter-American Affairs, and, and one of his assignments was actually supposed to, he was supposed to go over to Switzerland and find how advanced or how far along the Germans had gotten in their atomic bomb program. And one of his direct assignments was actually to go and assassinate a professor, a doctor in Switzerland that was a German doctor that was supposed to be one of the leaders for their atomic weapons development. And he got there, and he was able to gather the intel, and he was supposed to, to shoot this guy, but he realized that they weren't far, along, or far enough along, so he actually didn't pull the trigger on him because he realized they didn't have the intel yet. But he was able to sneak in, right? And people accepted him as their own. And he was able to get close enough even to take out one of their you know, brilliant minds. That's the idea here of privily, to sneak in, to secretly introduce so if false doctrine is going to come into this church, what does that look like? Sometimes it, it's, it's just a secret introducing of a false teaching. It, in other words, it's not going to be blatant and in front like, oh, let's change our doctrinal statement. Because there have been churches that keep the same doctrinal statement, but yet drift far from the truth, right? So the doctrinal statement's not going to save you, right? It can, it can be just the conversations that we even have with one another where uh, we think our way is so right and, and maybe we're, we're taking an application of scripture sometimes too far or, or holding it too strongly. We're, as Monty has said, we're not willing to give grace. But we're going to push something or push someone. And so there, it comes down to it's not about me. It's not about my thoughts it's not about my opinions, as we'll see later even in this passage. It's about God's word. So they shall privily bring in, and then it says damnable heresies. Now that sounds pretty strong, and it is. That word damnable really is, is the idea of destructive. I'm sorry, I'm crackling here a little bit. Am I good? I'll try to adjust. So I have to use this now? Okay. Damnable heresies, it's the idea of destructiveness to really to destroy fully the idea of being lost or ruined. In other words, these false teachers are coming in to destroy, to bring ruin, and, and the, the ultimate ruin is even the second death. It has that idea, too, of God judging all who do not believe forever. And they bring in these ideas that are heresies. What is a heresy? Well, it's something, it has the idea that's a self-willed opinion. In other words, I'm taking something that I really want you to believe, but it's coming out of my own thoughts and minds, my own opinions. And often it has, or I'd say most of the times, it has a lot of truth attached to it, right? Because what's the easiest way to lie to someone? Tell them a lot of truth and just tweak a little bit at the end, right? Just gradually, a little at a time. It claims the authority of Scripture, it claims the Bible, but is not. So that's what he's calling to be watching out for it. They're among the people, and they do it secretly. And then the end of the verse, even denying the Lord that bought them. This idea of deny is as a rejection of authority. In other words, the false teachers, they come in, but whose authority are they under? They're not under God's authority. 
they're not under the Scripture's authority. They're under their own authority. So they come in denying the Lord, the Lord that even offers salvation, redemption. This idea of bot is the word redeem. In other words, if God has redeemed them or has redeemed us, he owns us and we deserve or he deserves our undivided and full service. But here the, the suggestion is that they're t- trying to take advantage of all the good things that God offers, yet they're bringing in these, their own ideas. And so what happens? And bring upon themselves swift destruction. Now, it doesn't always seem like this happens, right? Are there false teachers that have had longevity in their lives? In other words, are there older people on TV right now, preaching right now, that are false teachers and they've made a lot of money over a lot of time and they're still on TV? So does that mean God's word isn't true here? Because they haven't had swift destruction yet, right? This idea of swift is that it's impending, it's at hand, and it will be met out quickly. In other words, when it comes to false teachers, there's no question in God's mind what the end result is for them. It's not like there's going to be a long courtroom debate. God's going to say, false teacher, destruction. It's going to be as simple as that. And also remember, when it, when it comes to this idea of God's justice in the world, do you, do you ever get a little tired? Your heart groans, your heart aches. Like, why isn't righteousness happening? Why are people getting away with sin? Why can false teaching still go forward and, and you know, God doesn't do anything about it? Just, just back up a little bit and remember, our God, he's not bound by time, right? God existed before time did. We can't even comprehend that, but God has always existed and yet time had an in the beginning. In fact, even with eternity, we, we say forever, but we, we don't know how long that is. Like, you can't even comprehend it. It's just like the odometer that just keeps going and going and going. That's, we, in other words, we still relate eternal things to our concept of time. But God is completely outside of time. So to him, it's no big deal. He already knows the end. He has things in control, and he will bring destruction or ultimate justice, swift destruction. And this idea of destruction is the same as eternal misery talked about in Revelation 20. But I want you to look at Matthew chapter 23 when it comes to this idea. Because Jesus himself addressed the false teachers. Remember, he had many conversations with the Pharisees and the scribes who were saying, we're teaching God's law. We know the Bible. We know the scripture. And yet, Christ has very strong words for them. Look at Matthew 23 and verse 15, where Jesus himself is pronouncing judgment. He says, woe unto you. In other words, a warning, a declaration of judgment is coming. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. That word gets thrown around, right? And Jesus is warning even us, who would claim to be religious, we know the law, we know the scriptures, and Christ is saying, warning, if you're like the scribes and the Pharisees, the hypocrites, what are they like? Ye can pass the sea and the land to make one proselyte. 
In other words, you're, you're willing to give all of your energy to get one convert, to get one person to believe what you believe. You're willing to put all your effort into that. And when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Strong language from Christ himself saying, people want followers, right? These people did. Is that true today? Do, do we have people that are trying to accumulate followers who can have the most subscribers, who can have the most likes on their page? And Christ is saying, well, if you're making followers of yourselves, woe unto you, because you're going to make that person twice the child of hell or twice as bad. I mean, it's only going to hurt them. So how do you pr protect against that? Well, he's saying, be a follower of me, of Christ, of the truth. So it comes down to this question. In your own life right now, who are you following? It's a very important question to ask our own hearts. Who are you following? You can ask that question in several different ways. Who are you allowing to influence your life? Who are you allowing to affect your thoughts, your beliefs? Who are you going after? Following, it implies that you're actually putting effort right into it. You can't follow someone very easily unless they're dragging you with a rope, right? <laughs> no, this is talking about willful following. And what did Christ say? Remember to his disciples? His first call to them was, come, follow me. So we're, I'm not here today to say, come, follow Pastor Phil. I'm here to say, to say, come, let's follow Jesus together. And that shows up in our motivations. It shows up in our love for one another. It shows up in our desires. It shows up in how we interact with one another. And, all, and it shows up in our beliefs of what we're going to say is true. All of that is saying, Am I following the Lord who redeemed me, or am I following my own self-will, my own desires, my own way? This is what I want. And you have to be careful here, because it's really easy to follow our own desires. It's really easy to want what I want and get what I want and make it happen, right? If I want something, I'm going to make it happen. The warning here is not just to watch out for others doing that, but to watch out in our own hearts. Can you ever deceive yourself? In other words, can you ever be a false teacher to your own thoughts even? There's even warning here against that. Don't follow yourself. Follow the Lord who redeemed you. So that's their method, the false teacher's method. They're among the people. They're secret, but they're denying the power Let's look then, secondly, verse 2, at their masses. Look at verse 2. It says, And many shall follow their pernicious ways. Many shall follow. In other words, it's not just a few. These false teachers are actually able to garner a lot of support. There are, they're able to have big crowds. And what do big crowds say to you? Well, some of you during the election cycle saw the different sized crowds, right? And one was clearly bigger than the other. And there, we won't go into all the reasons for that, but there's a following there. There's, there's movement there, right? There's excitement. And you see all that even with others who would teach and you say, oh wow, everyone else, what does a teenager say? Everyone else is doing it. 
Why can't I? Like, Mom, can I go to this party? Well, why do you want to go? Well, Mom, because everyone else is doing it. And then the reply is, well, if everyone else is going to jump off a cliff, would you do it too? And what's the answer nowadays? Go on YouTube. Yes, they are jumping off cliffs in large groups, but they have, you know, parachutes and their squirrel suits and all that, wing glides, all of that. And so it's, it's right back on mom, right? <laughs> yes, my friends are jumping off cliffs. <laughs> but the idea is I'm following the crowd. I'm following just because everyone else is doing it. So the warning here is, yes, many shall follow their pernicious ways. This idea of pernicious, we don't use that word <laughs> as often. But it's the idea of a harmful effect in a gradual or subtle way. It's, it's to reject restraint, to indulge in what I want. That's the idea behind being pernicious. It's very much self-motivated, self-desired. Go back to Matthew chapter 7, if you would. Matthew chapter 7. Christ again is speaking. Everyone's doing it. Remember this warning, this isn't the Sermon on the Mount, or this, this admonition, really. Matthew 7, verse 13, where he says, Enter ye in at the straight gate, or the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many, many there be which go in thereat. But straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few that be that find it. What's Christ saying? He's like, don't be surprised that if you're following me, you're going to be the minority. Don't be surprised that when you follow me, you're going to look and say, well, everyone else is not doing it. Don't be surprised that when you choose to follow Christ, that you may not have a lot of people with you. But Christ is saying it is worth it and you should follow me. What does it mean to follow? Because there's many that shall follow, it says, their pernicious ways. The idea of following has the idea of imitating. Do you ever uh, have a sibling? It's usually a brother that imitates you. Don't do that. Don't do that. Stop repeating me. Stop repeating me. I had brothers. I know what it's like. If you had siblings, you know what it's like. Yeah, so there, there can be a, a caricature or a, a mean way to imitate someone else, right? And you've heard of people do impressions. You know, our, our, our presidents usually get someone to do impressions of them, right, to make fun of. But the idea here, what does an impressionist do? They try to sound like the person. They scrunch up their face to try to even look like the facial expressions they give. They practice even their arm movements you can do this to me later, just don't do it right now, because then I'll get a little self-conscious. Their arm movements to, uh, to act like them. They're imitating. The idea here is, if you follow someone, you're going to start looking like them. So, who do you want to look like? So don't follow or imitate. It also has the idea of obeying. If you're going to follow someone, you're going to obey. And you say, well, wait a minute. I, you know, I, I follow a lot of people. I don't necessarily obey. But 
don't they still have influence over us in your thoughts, in your mind? What is advertisement trying to do? Do you get ads, TV, social media all the time? Text messages, scam calls, all of these things. What are they trying to do? They're trying to convince you to buy their product, to say, obey what I say. My product's the greatest. It's the best. You really, really want it because it'll make you cool. Yeah, that, I gave up on that a long time ago. But it'll make you happy. Okay, I've eaten a lot of things, and yet they never satisfy. Are you sure? Oh, yes. Right? And the advertisement tries to get us to buy into that idea, to actually go to the point to obey into buying something. And, and they say, even, even those of us who say, advertisement doesn't work on me, it still actually kind of does. Because if, if I ask you, what's, what's the biggest name brand carbonated beverage company in the world? Who is it? Yeah, you always say Coca-Cola. It doesn't matter who else it is. It could be Pepsi for all I know. I don't know, but it's Coca-Cola because you see their advertisements. And you could do that with, with so many. And so just because everyone else is doing it does not mean you even obey. The idea is to imitate Christ, obey Christ, and it also has the idea of yielding to Christ. When I first moved to Idaho, which is only two years ago, so it's not that long ago, but here's the improvements I've already seen that I love. There's a train track that runs and it crosses Cherry Lane. It also crosses 11th Avenue. When I moved here, both of those crossings had stop signs and that annoyed me. I'm from Newton, Kansas, and we have a train yard, what we call a hump yard there, because there's actually a hump and they, and they connect a lot of trains there. So I'm used to trains and I'm used to waiting for really long trains. But you know what I don't like to wait for at a train track? I don't like to wait for nothing. And that's why I didn't like the stop signs. Every time I came to those railroad tracks, there was a stop sign, but there was no train. So what would I say? That stop sign, you're wasting my time. But here's the improvement they made, and it's amazing. They put a roundabout in right on top of the train. No, I'm kidding. That's what they're doing everywhere else. <laughs> I don't know who gets right away in that, but... Uh... No, they put a yield sign. They put a yield sign. And what does the yield sign mean? If the train is there, you done better stop. Because <laughs> if you don't, and I've seen at the Kansas State Fair, they would always have a vehicle that had been hit by a train. Who wins? It's not the vehicle, okay? So if the train is there, you yield to the train. The train gets right of way. But if the train's not there, it's beautiful now. I don't have to stop. I know many of you may have not even stopped before. <clears throat> but now my conscience can be clear as I just nicely glide across those railroad tracks. I can yield, just go right across. So when it comes to following someone, the idea of yielding is that you're going to give the right of way to that, that person that you, that you view as, as greater and an authority. And you can either yield to the train of false prophets <laughs> who may destroy your life, right? Or you can yield to God to follow his way, his will. So it comes back to this idea. There may be many, there might be masses, but yet the call is to yield to Christ. And then it, verse 2 ends with the example they set. And it's a bad example. 
by reason of whom, that is, these false teachers, the way of truth, that is, correct doctrine, shall be evil spoken of. In other words, spiritual wreckage is happening here. Do you ever meet someone or go up to someone and say, you know, that's an unbeliever, and you say, why don't you come to church? And what do they give you? They give you reasons why they reject Christianity or why they reject the Bible or why they reject going to church. What are their reasons often? Everybody there, everybody is a hypocrite. And say, okay, I'll own that. Yeah, I'm sometimes a hypocrite, but that's not my desire. My desire is to show Christ, and my desire is to grow in grace. Everyone there is, is, is so righteous and holier than thou. I say, absolutely not. I'm a sinner saved by grace, and I want you to be a sinner saved by grace, right? But with these false teachers, it's by reason of whom people then are able to say, I'm going to reject even what is true. In other words, notice how damning, how destructive this is. That even, so you have the false teachers, they're given their false message. The truth can come along, but someone will say then, I'm not going to accept it because of the false teaching. Doctrine matters. Doctrine is important. In other words, better get it right. <laughs> it better be founded on the word of God. It better be founded on Jesus Christ. What is the way of truth? Well, the way of truth is talking of two things. It's both talking about the right doctrine and the accurate representation of that, of the gospel, of the truth. So you have the right word where you're finding it, but you're also teaching it and explaining it in the right way. And that's where I pray as a preacher and as each person should pray that's teaching, whether it's in the children's class or Sunday school or wherever it may be, or you even in your personal conversations with one another, is, Lord, give me clarity and grace to speak your truth accurately, to speak the way of truth the way you would have it said. So that must be our heart's desire. So even that accurate doctrine, the accurate gospel, shall be evil spoken of the root of that, that idea of evil spoken is the same word we get blaspheme from. What is blasphemy? Well, it's, it's a reproach against. It's to speak against something. So we may come and say, this is what is true. And someone else may say, no, that's blasphemy. I'm not going to believe that. Because false teachers have already caused a wreckage. And so when we look at the false teacher, their influence, we've seen their method. They come in among the people, and they're secretive. We've seen the masses. There's a lot of people out there, but yet they leave a bad example behind. So the warning is, be alert and don't follow after them. And here's also why, and that we'll, we'll end with in, in verse 3, their motivation, their motivation is greed and because of their own blindness. In other words, these are not people that you want to follow. Look at verse 3. It says their motivation and through covetousness. We saw that same word in Jeremiah with the Old Testament prophets. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. What is covetousness? It's greed. It's desire to have more. 
it's talking specifically of material possessions. It's the idea of someone using you, not caring for you. And that's their underlying motivation. Don't you want to know, when you, when, you, when you have a new friend or a new pastor or a new whoever, don't you want to know that they actually love you and they care for you and that their motivation is not based in their own self-interest, right? That's what we desire, even in our relationships with one another. So it causes us to stop and say, what is my motivation? You don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to think, why are you here today? That can, that can cut a little deep. See, I'm here today because I'm the pastor, and I'm, I'm required to be here, right? I get paid to show up, so I have to be here, right? So if, if that were my motivation, that's coming into this idea of what false teachers are doing. That, that's the greed and the covetousness. Or you think, why are you here today? Well, well, I'm here because it makes me feel good. I feel better about myself because I come to church. Or I feel good because I'm able to, you know, be with other people. And, you know, and that's not all bad. It's, it's good to be a blessing. But, but you can come to church even with the wrong motivation in mind. So the warning is you're watching out for false teachers, but watching out for the own false teaching in your own heart. What do you replace covetousness with? Is it not contentment in Christ who's given us everything we need for life and godliness? First Peter 1, we've already looked at that. So through covetousness, they shall with feigned words make merchandise of you. Feigned words has the idea of formed or molded or made up. It's really this idea of crafty speech. Politicians come to mind, right? They're really good at crafting their words and their speech. And when asked a direct question, they can give such a good indirect answer, right? <laughs> They're masters at it. Carefully crafted. And so it's this idea of feigned words that it sounds good, it looks good, it's molded, it's shaped after something that's even good, but yet what they're doing with these feigned words is making merchandise of you. That's literally what it sounds like. They just want, they want you to sell you. <laughs> they're in it for themselves. They want to make gain and you are the prophet. And not, not the prophet as in declaring God's word. You're the prophet as in the monetary gain or value from it. And don't we see that? In other words, we're so concerned about the number of followers or the number of likes or retweets or the number of subscribers. That must mean something good. But really, if you think about it, the bottom line is, why do they always say, click subscribe and ring the bell? If you've watched YouTube, you've heard that. Because the more eyeballs they get, the more advertisements are out there, the more money's in their own pocket. In other words, it's for their own gain. I'm not saying all of them are in it for bad reasons. I'm just saying that it can easily become that. And that's what false teachers are all about. So it's greed, but it's also blindness. Notice the last part of verse 3. Whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. 
Peter reminds us that even though there are false teachers, false teachers that would take us away from the truth, false teachers that will be among us, false teachers that have masses and millions of people following them, they're blind to the coming judgment. In other words, if they really knew what was going to happen, they would turn and follow Christ. But they're blind to the judgment, and this judgment now speaks of a decision of God. In other words, there's coming a day when the false teachers will stand before God and God will give a right and appropriate judgment of them, a determination. It's that idea of swift destruction again. And it lingereth not. It's not idle. It's not delayed. But you say, but Pastor Phil, people are still false teachers today and they're getting away with it. Well, let's go back to Matthew 23. We've been there once already, but let's continue reading. Matthew 23, because Christ continues to speak to these scribes and Pharisees. And give them more warnings about their own blindness. But also the coming judgment. Matthew 23, verse 16 We already looked at verse 15, but he goes on to say, verse 16, Woe unto you, ye blind guides. You ever want to go down the uh, Grand Canyon? Maybe some of you have even done it on a mule or a burrow. If you're going to choose a mule or a guide, do you want them to be able to see on that narrow mountain path winding its way back and forth? Would you follow a blind person down that? Very trusting, but... Christ is saying, Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. In other words, they're finally making the difference between, you know, not the temple, but the gold of the temple. And Christ is calling them out for it, their, their application of, of a truth. Ye, ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And then you say, whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon the altar, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God, and him by that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel." The idea there is you're eating soup. What are you going to notice more? You're trying to get the fly out of your soup, and you don't realize that in the bowl in front of you, an entire camel is swimming in your soup. Are you that blind? Can you not smell the hairy camel? Can you not feel his fur rub against your face? He's saying you're being so detailed-oriented on the mandates of man that you're not willing to follow the, the commandment of God to love God and to love others. And he's saying that there is destruction coming. 
Scripture says, you know, he gives woe unto these teachers specifically. And that there's greater condemnation even for those who knew much but did nothing with it. Think of the, the parables that Jesus gave, of even the unjust servants, you know, the ones that hid the talents versus the one that invested the talents, the money that God had given, or the master had given. And what did he do with the one who did nothing but buried in the ground? He took it away and gave it to another. And I believe the, the inverse is true, too, that the Bible hints at that there are even varying degrees of punishment eternally for those who would say, I'm preaching God's word, I'm teaching God's word, and yet being a, living a self-centered, motivated, self-motivated life. So that judgment lingereth not, Second Peter 2 verse 3, and their damnation slumbereth not. That damnation, again, is that same word back in verse, verse 1. It's the idea of destruction, and it slumbereth. The idea is nodding to sleep, like some of you may be doing right now. He's saying the coming judgment is not slumbering. In other words, God is not blissfully unaware of the false prophets and their teachings. God is not blissfully unaware of our own thoughts and minds and hearts. Notice what Romans 2 says. Romans chapter 2. It's the last passage we'll look at. Romans chapter 2. Paul here is, is showing that all are under condemnation by God. But he calls out all of us who would say, oh, I'm doing fine and I can judge others when we ourselves need to examine ourselves. Romans 2 verse 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for when the, wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest of the same thing. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. In other words, it's certain that God's judgment is going to happen. And to think of thou this, O man, that, ju that judgest them which do such things, and doest the same, that thou shalt escape the judgment of God, has the idea of, you're teaching someone else to do something, but you're not willing to follow yourself. What's that definition? Hypocrite, right? Have I not found my own heart there at times? Shall you, will you escape then that judgment? Verse 4, Or despise thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. In other words, God hasn't judged me yet. And Paul is saying, well, it's because he's good and he's longsuffering and he wants you to come to him. Verse 5, but after thy hardness and impentient heart treasures up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and a revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Notice verse 6. Here's where it hones in. Who God will render to every man according to his deeds. God knows he's going to make things right. Here's where the beauty of the gospel shines brightly. Are there any deeds? Do I have any deeds 
that I deserve God's righteous judgment upon my life for? Have I even mirrored or mimicked some of these false teachings or being like a false teacher, going after my own self-will, my own right, you know, my own gain? Yes. That's why Christ's substitutionary atonement, his sacrifice in our place is so precious because Christ came to take this punishment that we deserve so that whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, shall not experience that damnation or destruction, second death that we've talked about. But there's actually forgiveness. There's redemption because Christ has paid it all. That's why when it comes to our Christian walk or Christian life, it always comes back to the gospel. I'm just a sinner saved by grace trying to follow Jesus Christ. It's really as simple as that. So Lord, give me grace and faith daily to walk with you. So Peter, he gives us the false teacher's influence. Their method, their masses, their motivation. So the warning is to us, don't be surprised, but be alert. Don't follow just the newest and latest trend just because a lot of people are doing it. Don't have that motivation of greed, self-willed, wantonness of saying, I will. Submit, yield to the master. The false teachers have a lot of influence, but their judgment is coming. But God has given us, those who want to follow him, everything we need for life and for godliness. So let's follow him together this week.